and we sat down in his office and he basically said, after three IUIs, the chances of success significantly decrease. So I think the best option for you is IVF. I'm literally being told that like, I have no other options. One of the scariest things that I could ever imagine like going on that journey is about to happen. Like I'm gonna have to step into something that like I did not choose to step into. And it's a lot of information that's coming at me. And I haven't even had time to process that I just had a chemical pregnancy. Oh, it's just awful. It was really awful. There are a lot of stats out there on fertility issues. And I mean, of course there would be because the healthcare system has money for things they can stand to make money off of. But anyways, in preparation for this episode, I combed through a lot of studies and here's one stat that really stood out to me. For women in their 30s, one in five will experience problems conceiving their first child. And I felt this because not only did I feel this as someone who had kids in their 30s, but I hear this almost daily from the lived experiences from friends and family who are in the reality of being that one out of five. For example, Deja Riley, our starring guest on this episode. Now, I'm gonna be honest. Her story treads the line of being incredibly inspiring and immensely triggering. And for a long time, I shied away from conversations about fertility altogether because of this. But as the saying goes, when you learn better and you know better, you do better. And I've been learning a heck of a lot about fertility and infertility and pregnancy in the past few months. And so I felt the time was right for us to tackle this conversation together on this episode of Lovers and Friends. Lovers and friends. I'm gonna take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I say, Lovers and Friends. Uh, I'm gonna hold you down, down to the end. I say, According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, about 9% of men and about 11% of women of reproductive age in the U.S. have experienced fertility issues. In one third of these issues, it is the sperm that is the problem. In another third, it is hard to determine where the issue actually lies. And the final third is because they determine there is an issue with the woman. And I wanted to start this episode with this stat in particular because often the burden of this problem and the shame of it is left on women, but the numbers don't lie. This is something that impacts all of us and we truly are all in this together. And I think if we're brave enough and secure enough, compassionate enough, we can start expanding this conversation from who can and who can't to who wants to. And furthermore, with all things considered, who wants to embrace a less traditional family planning path? For example, be that with kids born with medical intervention, kids born of different biological parents, or yes, no kids at all. And I promise you, that is all I want to do by bringing up this conversation as frequently as I have been. So as I mentioned, Deja Riley is our starring guest and y'all, what a beautiful, bright, brave star that she is. But also, Towards the end of the episode, I bring on Krizia and Crystal, two women in their 30s who haven't had kids yet, to get their reaction to Deja's story. And during this conversation, I also talked about my deep fear in hosting chats like these. I didn't want to have kids up until 33 years old. And here I am, I had my first kid at 35, the second at 37. And so I want to be an advocate for people to wait a long time. I want to be an advocate for people to decide not to have kids. 
But I'm also, in light of this new information and conversation we've been having about fertility, want people to make these decisions with all the information they possibly can have based on the technology we have today. So I feel like it's turned me into one of those people who's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't have to say anything else. You know what kind of person that is. And it, it makes me cringe at myself. So again, I just want to make it clear that in no way, shape or form am I having these conversations to make anyone feel pressured to have kids now or literally ever. What I hope is that with all things considered, because all the things to consider are advancing very, very rapidly, you get to make informed and measured decisions about one of the most important decisions of your life. And arguably, just as importantly, you can become a well of information to share with your community who might need the support and resources in more ways than you could ever know. And with that, let's tap in with Deja Riley, who through sharing her lived experience will likely teach you more about fertility in 37 minutes than you have learned in your entire lifetime. Or at least that was the experience that I had while chatting with her. Now, Deja, fun fact, is actually Jared's friend, one of his favorite friends. And I was big time excited to meet her years ago when I did because she also happens to be the daughter of one of my personal faves. In case you have no idea, I'm talking about Teddy Riley. Deja is Teddy Riley's daughter. Since then, I've been blessed to get to know Deja in a more meaningful way. And let me tell you guys, she is a dancer with credits ranging from Beyonce to Lady Gaga. She is a fitness instructor with Mirror and an ambassador for Lululemon, where she sits on the Idea Advisory Board. She's the owner of the lifestyle brand Sweaty Smile Squad, the director at Fit For Us, a creative agency designed to amplify black voices in the wellness and fitness industry. And on a personal note, our girl Deja is married and they are both working extremely intentionally on growing their family. And that, of course, is what we're going to talk about right after we show some love to our first of three sponsors for this episode. So let's get to it and get to that. Let me get this out there clean and clear. This bodysuit is from Skims. This incredible bra is from Skims. The underwear that I have right now, you guessed it. I'm not gonna show you, it's too complicated, but those are from Skims too. Lovers and friends, I am completely, fully obsessed and I have an entire full cart waiting to be checked out to prove it that I'm gonna wait until this episode airs to hit that button on because I wanna make sure they know that lovers and friends sent me, as you all should too. So if you don't know, Skims is the solution-oriented brand creating the next generation of underwear, loungewear, and shapewear for everybody. All their stuff is impeccable and will have you questioning what you have been doing before. But what I really want to tell you about is their Fits Everybody collection. So as you know, I'm still breastfeeding right now, which means that my bra size doesn't just change depending on the time of month. But literally within hours, I can go from a B to a double D. And that is why my fave bra by far is the Unlined Demi Bra. This is buttery soft fabric and it actually stretches to double the size. Skims is available in sizes extra, extra small to 4XL and offered in nine core colorways. And they have limited additional seasonal colors. So believe the hype. This collection has over 90,000 five-star reviews for a reason. Skims fits everybody and more best-selling essentials are available now at skims.com. Plus, you can get free shipping on orders over $75. And all of this buttery soft goodness is at skims.com. Hi, Deja. Hi. 
where do we begin? I don't even know. I mean, thank you for having me here. Thank um, you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I love your show. And um, I know that we kind of chatted a bit online and we were talking a little bit about my fertility journey. And I'm in a place where I feel very comfortable with sharing for the sake of educating others um, and also uplifting and inspiring and giving other people hope. So, yeah. Watching that video that you posted, it was so raw and uncomfortable and wonderful and honest. Literally, my best friend is pregnant. I am so happy for her, but I am living in the duality of it all. I am so upset for myself right now. This is so painful. And I want her to be happy and I want her to rejoice and I want her to feel so proud of her body. I'm so happy for herself. Like all of it so far out of my control. And so she told me that I was in shock for a minute and I was trying to hold back the tears, but I just couldn't. I'm literally just gonna be watching her grow life inside of her while I still can't do it for me. What was it like putting that out there? What was the decision like to put something like that out there? Well, I have to be honest in saying it's always made me uncomfortable watching other people cry online. And so I came into it with a bit of hesitation and I was rather nervous about putting that side of myself out there. But as I look back at a lot of my videos that are filled with so much joy and, you know, are so uplifting, it's only a small piece of me. It's only a small piece of my story in my life. And so when I actually hit that button to post and put it out there, I was actually really proud of the fact that I was sharing another layer of me, another piece of me, um, and the honest truth behind what a lot of people may also be feeling. I come from a really big family. I have nine siblings. I'm the oldest of 10. And I've always had really strong maternal instincts. I've always been a very motherly person, whether it is to, you know, strangers or like outside individuals or, or if it's like my actual family and my siblings. And so I think I've always known that I wanted to build a family of my own eventually, but I didn't know when. And, you know, as we dream when we're little girls, I dreamed that, you know, I'd be married and have a house and the kids and everything by 25. That was my age. And when I got to 25 and I was really just meeting Jimmy, I was like, okay, this is not the way that the story is going to go. Like I can still have a beautiful fairy tale life and fairy tale ending, but it may not be on the exact timing that I want. And my husband and I actually thought we had all the time in the world to have kids. We got married when I was 30 and I'm now 35. And I was like, well, we got time, you know, and it's going to happen. I thought my mom's extremely fertile. And so, you know, she's had five kids and I thought, yeah, it shouldn't be difficult for me to have kids either. And tell me about that. So you got married at 30. You're doing what we all are encouraged to do. Enjoy your marriage. Yeah. Enjoy just being married partners and lovers. And then when you feel ready to open up to your family, you do that. 
So tell me when you guys decided to make that decision and then what happened next. So Jimmy and I, you know, full disclosure, were having safe sex. We were having protected sex even when we first got married. We just knew that at the point that we wanted to have kids, we were going to be very intentional about that process. I had come off birth control long before that. I actually think I came off birth control maybe like a year or two into us dating. Did you use the pill? Yeah. So I was on the pill for ever since I can remember. I was like a teenager when I got on the pill. And so I had been taking it all the way up until Jimmy and I got into a serious relationship. And then I decided to come off the pill. Jimmy and I had moved to the East Coast during the pandemic. And we finally felt like, okay, this is the time in which we feel like we feel really grounded in our space. We feel like we're ready to embark on this journey to parenthood. And I didn't really put a lot of pressure on it in the beginning because I thought it would be so easy. I was like, I'm healthy. My husband's healthy. Like our bodies can do this. And I really walked into it. And I spent my whole life trying not to do this. That part. So like now that I'm ready to do it, it will happen. I think also being an extremely goal-oriented and ambitious person, I went into it like I have a goal. I see the goal. I prepare for the goal. And then I achieve the goal. That's just how it's always worked for me. And so I thought this would be no different. My husband and I really just went for it for like six months before we took a pause and said, all right, it's not happening just yet. And we don't know why. So like, should we look into if anything could be happening underneath the surface? So I got some advice from some friends to seek out a fertility clinic. So they tested like my AMH. They did an HSG testing, which if people don't know what that is, it's where they run fluid through your fallopian tubes to make sure that they're completely open. Um, I also, they had checked like, you know, my ovarian reserve by testing my AMH and done a bunch of blood work to just make sure all of my different hormone levels were where they needed to be. And at the time, the RE, the reproductive endocrinologist gave me a green light and was like, you're healthy. Your husband's healthy. He also did semen analysis. He had one test. I had like I had like endless number of tests, but he did his he part. He jerked off in a cup. Yep. You had to have blood drawn. Yep. <laughs> stuff shot up you. <laughs> totally. But that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, they gave us the green light. And so we were like, okay, well, maybe we just need to keep trying. Maybe we need to try a little harder. So this is when I started using ovulation strips. And then that July of the year that we started trying, we got pregnant. And it was amazing and exciting. And we did all the things of like planning how we're going to share it with friends and family. And then we were crushed about two months later when we lost the pregnancy to miscarriage. And that was one of the most devastating moments of my life. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through. Hopefully also one of the hardest things that I ever have to go through in, in my life. Um, you know, no one really prepares you for that, but also there weren't a lot of women in my circle that were sharing with me that they ever had the experience until I had the experience. And I started to just share behind closed doors, like with my close circle. And I found out a lot of people that were close to me had had the experience. Women that were like in my family even had had 
that crushing, tragic event happen to them too. And so, you know, it took a while to heal from that. It took a while to get back on our feet and decide that we were going to move forward on this journey and, and move forward with going after something that we wanted so badly. And we eventually did, and we kept trying naturally. And then another about six, seven months went by, and we were still not pregnant again. And I was like, well, we know that our bodies can do this. Like, I know that my body is capable of, you know, becoming pregnant naturally. But for some reason, it just wasn't going as planned. It really just wasn't happening for us. And that was really, that was a really tough pill to swallow. Uh, but we then decided, okay, maybe we need a little assistance. Maybe there are other options out there that can help us achieve this dream that we want. And so we went back to another fertility clinic, one that was like really close to us. And that comes up a little later in the story. We went as a matter of convenience. So we chose a new clinic that was within proximity of us. And I would not recommend someone doing that just because your care team is one of the most important factors in your in the process of getting pregnant. And we jumped into the process of IUI. So I didn't know what IUI was, but a lot of people say for like layman's terms sake is it's like the turkey basting method. And so the first IUI failed. The second one got canceled because I actually overproduced the number of antral follicles that they felt like was at a safe level. And so normally they want one to two antral follicles to expand, but five of mine had. So they were saying like, if, you know, his sperm, then like once they actually do the procedure, if five eggs drop and his sperm like fertilizes five eggs, that's an automatic high risk pregnancy. It's a liability for the clinic. And so they canceled the second round. We went into a third round. It also failed. However, when we did that third round, I actually experienced a chemical pregnancy. So it was partial failure um, because I didn't actually get to carry this pregnancy to full term and, and give birth to a child. A chemical pregnancy is within the first six weeks? Five. Five The weeks. first five, yes. And usually what happens is like you end up taking a pregnancy test, you get a positive, and then you get your period and some tissue passes through. And I actually didn't know what a chemical pregnancy was at the time. So when it was happening, I just thought I was having a really heavy flow. And I happened to be at one of my girlfriend's houses. And I was so grateful that I was with her because she struggled with fertility as well. And she knew a little bit about what I was experiencing. I called her into the bathroom and I was like, I don't know what's happening right now. Like I thought I was getting my cycle, but like this tissue is passing through me. And I like had it on like the toilet paper and she, thank God for just like your best girlfriends because she went and like got gloves and like picked it up and she's like looking at like the tissue and she was like fully immersed in the experience with me. So like, though it was traumatic for me, I just felt like I was in such a safe space and I felt so held during that experience. And I'm really like in hindsight, like I am really grateful that she was there because Jimmy, I was, 
I was in Vegas at the time. Jimmy was back home on the East Coast. And so, like, I just felt like, oh, this is such, like, a a terrible thing to happen, but then also not to be at home while it's happening. I was, like, cringing. So I was glad that I could call her in, and she, like, examined the tissue, and she's like, I can't diagnose you with what is happening, but it seems as if that is probably what's happening. I'm like, I didn't know that, like, a miscarriage could happen this soon. I didn't know, like, I barely knew that I was even pregnant, let alone I'm like in the midst of losing, you know, this life that was just beginning to build in me. And basically what happens is the embryo just stops growing at a certain point and then, you know, it passes and it just, it's like a heavy flow. So after that happened, I, we went back to that same clinic and I demanded that we have a one-on-one appointment with the doctor that we were seeing because through the whole experience of those three IUIs, I didn't see the doctor ever. I only saw like the nurse practitioners, the phlebotomist, like I saw everyone else in the office, but I never saw him. And he would send occasional emails, but they were, you know, very short, pretty vague, not really explaining what was happening. So we had an appointment with him and we sat down in his office and he basically said, after three IUIs, the chances of success significantly decrease. So I think the best option for you is IVF. And immediately during that conversation, I I almost like went blank. Like I almost couldn't really hear anything that he was saying. And he put this paper down on the ground. It was like, or down on the table. And he went through the path of like IVF. And I was hearing nothing. And tears just started rolling down my face. And Jimmy started rubbing my back and like comforting me. And the doctor stopped and he goes, it looks like you're getting emotional. Do we need to stop talking about this? And I was like, no, but also like, I have every right to be emotional in this moment. Like I need a moment because I'm literally being told that like I have no other options. One of the scariest things that I could ever imagine like going on that journey is about to happen. Like I'm going to have to step into something that like I did not choose to step into. And it's a lot of information that's coming at me. And I haven't even had time to process that I just had a chemical pregnancy And like, he didn't even explain, like he was just, he went straight in for it. And I remember like cutting that appointment short. We walked out, we were at the elevators and I looked in Jimmy's eyes and I was just like, we're never coming back here. Yeah. I was like, I don't care what we have to do. We're, I don't care how far we have to drive. It's not going to be a matter of convenience anymore. I need to find a woman of color. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's just awful. It was really awful. And I just, like, I didn't, up to this point, because I'm super healthy and, like, you know, I've never really had a lot of, like, health issues or health scares. I had never really experienced health disparities. Yeah. And I really honestly never imagined that that would happen to me. And so... Walking out of that space, I was like, I'm no, like, I don't deserve this kind of treatment. Yeah. I deserve better than this, you know? And so I was like, we're not, we're not doing this. And he's like, okay. And we took our time and eventually ended up back at the first clinic that we started at, at Kind Batty. 
And we went back to Dr. Brown. She is heaven sent. I love this woman. And we had an appointment with her and we just gave her the rundown of everything that happened. And she immediately apologized that we went through all of that. And she said, what I'd love for you to do is to come into the office and we do a saline sonogram. And basically that's where they take um, saline solution and they like pump it through your uterus and it expands. Then they take like a tiny microscopic camera and they can look all through your uterus to see what might be going on. And I didn't even know that was an option. I had no idea that like, you know, there were these procedures out there that were standard protocol that doctors could perform and give you more answers. And so she and did that. And thus more options. And thus more options, really, honestly, because after that we did get even more options that we didn't even know were possible. Pardon our second of three interruptions for this episode, but I wanna tell you all about compost. Yes. So a few weeks ago, I showed you all how I am using my Lomi to turn my food scraps into dirt with the push of a button. All right, you guys have been blowing up my DMs about this Lomi. And you wanna know, is it dirt? That's dirt, baby. And now I wanna tell you how I can save you $50 off of yours. Again, Lomi is a countertop electric composter that not only turns your food into highly nutritious dirt, it also can turn you into an eco-goddess like me because reducing food waste drastically reduces your carbon footprint. So if you wanna start making a positive environmental impact and make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Head to Lomi.com slash lovers and use the promo code lovers to get $50 off your Lomi. Your plants will thank you. Your garbage people will thank you. The earth will thank you. That is $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash lovers and use promo code lovers at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can and let me save you 50 bucks. And at this point, we're two years in. We are almost two years in. Um, this was like, I had my miscarriage in September of 2021. I had my chemical September of 2022. And then we did my hysteroscopy and the saline sonogram in October. And for that next cycle is when we did the IUI. And... Uh, we did. We decided to do one more IUI. So this was our fourth IUI. We did it with this different doctor, new clinic, and um, it wasn't successful. It failed again. And I was not as devastated as I was the first three times. I actually felt like I was in good hands and I felt supported and I felt like my doctor was giving me the information that I needed to proceed forward in this journey. And I am the type of person that will do whatever it takes. So I wasn't giving up. So I asked the doctor, like, what was her recommendation? Like, what would she do? And she actually said, I would recommend us trying IVF because we can get more answers if we do IVF. With IUI, she's like, there's not that much conclusive evidence after you do an IUI because we can't really test anything. And it's kind of like rolling the dice. It's a gamble when you're doing IUI. It's like, well, we can't see what's happening. We're just like gonna shoot the sperm up there and hope that it meets the egg. 
if we did IVF, we're retrieving your eggs, we're able to then watch them growing with the sperm in like a lab, and they're able to send those embryos off for testing. So we were like, okay, we sat with it for a second. I What's the apprehension to IVF? For me, it was all of that medication, all of those hormones that I was going to put into my body. Like I said, I am very healthy. I'm very athletic. And one of, I would say like one of the things that was hardest for me during that process was not being able to move my body the way that I want. That's for me uh, a huge supporting factor of like me having good mental health. I'm actually not familiar. So why take time off of work? Would you be nauseous? Would you be tired? So what they say is that you risk ovarian torsion, which is like where the ovaries will twist, right? They are having you grow multiple follicles at once. And so what they don't want you to do is then like when you're working out, like the, the your ovaries twist or like, I don't know what it could cause, but I do know that like it could be pretty like detrimental to your health. And we're talking how many weeks? This was over the course of about six weeks. And um, that was supposed to be the extension with the transfer. We didn't end up going through with the transfer because my body was just like, I can't do anymore. And in the matter of 10 days, I took 23 injections in my stomach. It was somewhat painful, but more of an emotional process and more of, you know, I would say like it was probably pretty tough for my husband because I experienced so many mood swings, but I felt like I could get past like the physical aspects of it. I felt like I could get past like my stomach being sore and I felt like I could get past like maybe feeling really lethargic, but it was frustrating not being able to control my emotions and not being able to, you know, do anything to support that. Because for me, like working out is that driving force. It's what helps me to lift my mood if I'm feeling down. It's what really like drives me in life. And it was really, really difficult to give that up. But also I just, I just didn't like the feeling. And so after that retrieval, my doctor um, was able to get 13 eggs. Wow. Well, we, the numbers dwindled. And this is what I was not prepared for. So 13 eggs. Then only seven were mature. So six had to get discarded. And from those seven, only five were showing signs of normal fertilization once they injected the sperm. And then four of them stopped growing on day three. So we were down to one, one embryo. And we were just hoping and praying that like it was a strong embryo, that we were gonna come, they were gonna come back with results that like we could do a transfer. My, my husband like going through a lot of this didn't necessarily communicate to me what he was feeling, but he did in the aftermath and it was really stressful for him. But I was like waiting on edge and I felt like, I could feel like the immediate levels of stress and like just the weight that it was 
bearing on me through the process. And I was feeling really antsy. Like, I just don't know. Like, I'm, I'm nervous that we're going to get that one embryo back or they're going to say, like, it's abnormal or, like, you know, my doctor's going to say something that might be disappointing. And I think one of the things when going through fertility issues, you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're waiting for doomsday. And essentially, I had gotten to a point where even as mentally strong as I believe that I am, I was there. I had had some of the darkest thoughts I had ever had during that time. And that was part of like the hormones, you know, that was part of, you know, me having this experience that I had never had before. And so when we went through that retrieval process and then we found out that like 13 eggs doesn't equal 13 embryos and they sent it off and we waited for about almost like three weeks almost a month till we got the results back. And it was a 4AB, which is a really great grade for an embryo. And it had all 46 chromosomes. They were normal. And so we thought we were going to prepare for a transfer. And my doctor at that time told me that she would recommend us doing another retrieval. And of course, we asked her why. And her answer was that she didn't want us to end up right back where we were. She did believe at that point it was either my egg quality or that there was some other like thing that was happening with my body, but she didn't know what it was. And so she had ordered more blood work. We tested for PCOS. We tested for endometriosis. We tested my thyroid. She tested all of my hormone levels again. Everything was coming back within range. Everything was coming back that I was completely healthy. And so then at that point, she was like, it could be the quality of your eggs, but I'd love to do another retrieval so that we don't end up right back here if we do a transfer and it A, fails, or B, it works, and then you guys want to have a bigger family. And so Jimmy and I had to sit with that. I really trust my doctor, and I trust her advice and her recommendations and we decided that we didn't want to do another retrieval right away. And so we were like, we're going to take a break. And I think one of the biggest things for me during the time of experiencing, you know, all of these hardships and these trials through this fertility journey, my marriage suffered the most. And this partnership that was so strong that I built with my husband was crumbling and I think when we took a moment to think about it, we decided that it was more important to pour into each other because we're here with each other than it would be to continue to embark on this journey and ignore the issues that we had going on aside from that or the issues that even this was creating. And so, yeah, we decided to take a break and, you know, enjoy each other and enjoy our marriage again and just get back to being in love and having that romanticism in our relationship that we had, you know, so strongly before we got to this journey. And that's where we are today. That's where we are today. That one embryo? It's frozen and it's at the clinic. And so we have a male 4AB embryo, little healthy one, and it's on ice. And so, you know, with um, like embryos, you have like 
up to a year with our insurance, you have up to a year um, of like free storage. So that embryo will sit on ice for a year and then we'll pay for additional storage if we need to after. I know in listening to this, there are people who are like begging me to ask particular questions because you beautifully shared so much and there's so much that I could double click on and go into the thing that I am curious about because this conversation is coming up more and more in my circle but as you're talking I'm hearing the price so what is the cost of all of this oh my goodness Shan I had no idea how expensive it was I am so grateful that I have amazing insurance, but out-of-pocket costs for IVF alone at the clinic that I went to was over $17,000. And I don't know a ton of people that just have $17,000 of like disposable income lying around. We knew that we were investing in something that was really meaningful to us when we were doing it, and we did have some out-of-pocket costs, but the majority of that was covered for us. So through my insurance, the only thing that wasn't covered was PGTA, which is genetic testing. And the genetic testing by itself was a little over $5,000. We also had co-pays for our medications. So all the stims that we did, all of the injections, those were approximately about like $250. And I still have a bunch of leftover medication. But we're talking out-of-pocket costs, somewhere 20000 Is that fair to say? About, about. And then, of course, the time. Yes. You, like, as you said, you lived at the doctor. And then when you think about how much you make for a living and how much time you take off, we're talking probably six figures plus. You know, I actually changed the acronym IVF for myself, and I said, I am very fortunate. I am very fortunate because I had the support at work. I am very fortunate because I had an incredible care team once I decided to make the shift. I am very fortunate that I had the financial means to be able to afford this, but I know there's so many women that don't. Mm -hmm. And I think I would say to those women, there are options out there for you. There's information out there for you. I was even reading a ton of books of things that like, you know, maybe it's a holistic route that you have to go. I started doing acupuncture during this. I saw a naturopath during this. I was doing a little bit of both Western medicine and Eastern medicine during this process, but never feel like there's no option for you. Never feel like, you know, the finances are going to stand in your way from you achieving this dream that you might have for yourself because there are other options. When people think about something being so costly, oftentimes they just push the whole thing aside and don't think about the alternatives. And so, you know, one thing that I was also encouraging some of my friends that felt like they wanted to go on that journey, but weren't even close to being able to even spend that kind of money. I was like, okay, what are the things that you can do? Can you take more time to nourish your body and relax and things like that? Also, that word relax was kind of triggering during the during the whole process. So even when I say it, I'm like, oh, it's like triggering for myself. But, you know, so many people said, don't stress, just relax. It's going to happen when you aren't thinking about it anymore. And I was like, well, those are all things that don't feel very tangible or accessible for me in this moment. Because 
This is the only thing I want. I'm not going to stop thinking about this. When your heart is just racing for this thing that you really deeply desire and you are just like 10 toes down, like feeling grounded in this place that you're in and you're like, if I could just have the opportunity to do this, I know that it would be so amazing. And yet like there, it's beyond your control. There's nothing that you can actually do that's going to change that circumstance until it's your time, you know? And so I would just think that's not helpful to hear. And I thought about, I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day. I thought about, do I want to put a video out just to talk about language in terms of talking to someone who might be facing fertility issues or fertility struggles? And it would be from my own experience. But there were so many things that were triggering that I heard during that time that I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I could handle it. Even though it was like a little jarring for me. Like I was able to pick myself back up and, you know, say some positive things to myself and keep moving forward. But like, what about that person that it just crushes them to Mm -hmm. their core? Like when I would hear friends be like, we weren't even trying. And then, bah, this miracle happened. I'm like, oh, that's hard to hear. Yeah. You know, like it hurts. And... I think that oftentimes people that haven't had the experience aren't aware that something like that could be so hurtful. I can completely empathize with what you're saying and in that people think that they're being helpful by sharing their experiences. You know what one always sort of tripped me up is when people are like, I just knew we when we conceived. I just yeah. knew it. And I, we only hear that story when there's actually a, a baby. Because I know when I was trying to conceive, the months where... I was like, we just made our son. Yeah. Like I felt it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, Jared, we just made our son. Yeah. And then your period would come. Yeah. So all the times that you know, and then you don't. Yeah. I had those moments too. And I think I had more moments where it wasn't happening for me. And I was just looking for every sign that it could have happened than anything. I had so many moments of like sitting on the toilet and wiping and like not seeing any blood yet. My period's supposed to be here. And I think I still, I don't know if I'll like ever stop having those moments that like scare me where I'm like, I could be, I'm not, I am, I don't know, you know? It just has forever changed me and it's forever shaped me into the person that I am now and the person that I show up as. And I think I've developed a deeper sense of compassion for others that also go through this. And really just humans in general in all the experiences that we go through, like you just never know what that feels like. And now that I have that experience of going through this fertility journey and, you know, still progressing through life in this way, I just go about it so differently because of all of those little itty bitty moments, you know? Yes. And 
the tricky thing, I I want to say the right thing, but I may not say the right thing. That's it's okay just, too. It's not a right scenario, yeah, right? No. You didn't ask for it. You didn't ask to be here, but you are here and you're yeah. here joyfully. You're showing up and you're giving and you're giving so much. Thank you. The thing that Jared said to me that was very uplifting was it's not the magic isn't how you make the baby. The magic isn't how you mother. And mothering looks a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Mothering could be an amazing aunt. Mothering could be an amazing sister. Mothering might be a natural birth. Mothering might be IVF. Mothering might be adoption, whatever it is. But you have invited the concept of mothering into your life. And that magic exists in you no matter what happens next. And that magic is in you. Like that glow of mothering. It was as soon as you walked up, right? There was just something about you. You're always magnetic. You've always been vibrant. You've always been a light. But you you are a magnificent and beautiful mother. And I'm just so grateful to have shared this space with you thank you shan and thank jared for that too oh my gosh that's so beautiful yeah that really is i'm gonna hold on to that because it's true you know even when we talked about at the very beginning of this conversation when i started embarking on that journey like how did i know you know like and i think about my siblings and i think about the role that i played in their life and i think about you know a somewhat maternal like position that I've taken in their lives and also in people that I mentor and, you know, all of that. I'm like, yeah, the magic of motherhood is already in me. Yes. And like that is- It's already been gifted. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I do. Again, that's Deja Riley on Instagram. Dose of Duality is the name of her podcast and DejaRiley.com is a place you can go for these links and so much more. Thank you so much to Deja. Popping in one last time to remind you that later in this episode, I sit down with Krizia and Crystal, two women in their 30s who want families but haven't started that journey yet to get their take. For me, my first reaction was honestly fear. For me, it's I'm single, no options. So it's like I'm 32, about to be 33. So it put a lot of fear on reflecting how far back in those steps because I so badly want to be a mom. Stay tuned for that. But first, I would love to tell you about Symbiotic Plus by Ritual. So let's start with a question. Do you plan your outfits and sex life around how bloated you feel that day? And while we're here, let's get a little bit more personal, perhaps a little bit more weird. Do you struggle with gastiness? Well, Ritual literally created Symbiotic Plus with that weird gut stuff in mind. It contains clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. So I've been using Symbiotic Plus for like three months now, and I'm not sure if it's the fact that I'm three months more postpartum or it has been the daily usage of this, but my gassiness has improved tremendously. And that is why I'm here for daily three-in-one prebiotic, probiotic, and postbiotic with two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. There's no more shame in your gut game. And that is why Ritual is offering listeners of Lovers and Friends 10% off during their first three months. So go to ritual.com slash lovers to start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. Again, that is 10% off your first three months at ritual.com slash lovers. Hi, ladies. Hey. Hello. Krizia, lead producer on the podcast. 
no brainer for why you're here <laughs> because we've talked about fertility ever since 2023 began yes. and we haven't stopped. And now it's a question on your mind. So I wanted to get your response to what Deja had shared. And then Crystal, you were on our episode yes. of the Harlem After Show where we talked about fertility. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of ovarian reserve testing? No. No, no. and I'm a whole woman. So have you ever thought before about going to get tested or looking into that at all? I am not interested. I don't, I, I just, I feel like I'm okay with having a baby at 50. Mm -hmm. if that is what's supposed to happen. I'm okay with having one at 40. I'm, I'm just not interested in trying to preserve right now at 36. A lot of people had big reactions Huge. to that. Tell Large. me about your experience. You know, it, I expected it. So me being 30, almost 37 with no children is like kind of like alarming from when you know when you're black and from the deep south, I'm from Dallas. So um, I knew it was gonna be a thing. Um, but I'm okay with that. I, I, I rested very comfortably, in my opinion. It didn't bother me at all. Um, and I understood, because again, you're only taught one way. It's fine. It was, it was a, I was a little taken aback at the, at the amount of women that were, like, spoke out so much. The men were just kind of like, eh, she's dumb, but okay, her body. The women were just brutal. And I'm just like, we have the same parts. Do you, well, I just want to get this out for both of you, Chrysia and Crystal. What did you think listening to Deja's story? What came up for you? Immediate, like, empathy. Um, but then also, I love the fact that her and her husband were so aware that they knew, like, hey, as much as we want this, we need to take a break because this is affecting our marriage. And I love that they put themselves first in that instance because so many people could be so hell-bent and hell-strong on having a kid that they forget about the marriage. For me, my first reaction was honestly fear because she, I'm, she's like two steps ahead of me with a, with a partner and also already trying to conceive. For me, it's I'm single, no options. So it's like I'm 32, about to be 33. So it put a lot of fear on reflecting how far back in those steps I am. And it almost put like a, a desire not to rush it, but to be more intentional about the steps I'm taking. I wanna talk about that I word because I think that looks a lot different than it would have five years ago. Mm -hmm. Being intentional about family planning doesn't mean that like, all right, I'm gonna settle for the next person with a hard dick and <laughs> three years you know, opening their calendar. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think with all the talk of fertility that has been going around, um, as a single woman, 32, I want to choose the freedom of, okay, I'm not just going to settle for the next person that comes my way because I so badly want to be a mom, but I'm going to weigh out my options in case that it doesn't happen naturally, that I always have one or two more options to fall back on. That's why I was curious for your experience, Crystal, because I think a lot of people's commentary towards what you said about like, I'll just have a baby when I'm 40, when I'm 50 seemed like it didn't acknowledge the fact that it, it doesn't have that yeah. Deja story exists. Yeah. And I get that. And, I, and I'm sensitive to that for sure. And I, I definitely said it very cavalier um, as if it was going to happen for me automatically first time out. Um, so I understand that for sure. But my mind still hasn't shifted on just me wanting it to, I, I want it if and when, let me say that, if and when it happens, I want to explore it as naturally as possible. So I, and I also don't know if I'll be in a partnership or a marriage at that point. So it's like, I would also 
want my husband and or partner to be able to inform that decision as well versus me saying, oh, we know back when I was in my 30s, I, you know, froze some eggs and and here, here, let's go. Let's do this. And what if he doesn't want children? Or what if, you know, he wanted to try naturally? I just want to I don't I don't want to make. Yes, it's my body and I have to be the one to carry it. But I also want to be respectful of his opinion as well and his feedback and and maybe just kind of see what he wants. So I, I think I'm just keeping myself my options open, although maybe not, because it may not actually happen that, that way. Um, but I'm I, also kind of curious, how does that make sense? How does freezing your eggs stop an option for a future partner? Because I'm thinking, what if he, what if he's like, well, no, I want to try naturally. I mean, I don't know what men, I have no well, then idea. You just don't use the frozen eggs. But then I've paid all this money. Deja said it costs $17,000 to do this whole process. So, I mean, I'm, think, I'm just thinking in terms of like, so I've invested this money and I put them on ice to not use them. That's insurance period, though. It is. I spent all this money for nothing, and that's a big fear. Sure, 1,000%. And I think I'm just so, ter- I'm not terrified of marriage, but the one thing that does scare me a bit is just that I just want us to be equal partners and have as much of an equal say-so as possible. And when bringing life into this world, I would like him to be a part of that process and wait and give you know his feedback and his opinions or his hesitation or whatever and I just don't want to take away his choice what are your thoughts Grace specifically on what part um just about like what does making this decision let's just talk about that period have you considered freezing have you thought about ovarian testing my family planning has changed I think, I wouldn't say completely, but there's so much more awareness about exploring options that are out there. Because yes, like Crystal said, it very well can happen naturally at 35 and that would be the dream. But knowing that right now I am not without, I am not with a partner, I would like to see. I have actually started looking into ovarian reserve testing, um, checking how fertile I am because after 30, what your chances do drop and I'm almost three years into that. So family planning has just completely advanced for me, even if I don't have a partner, just because I want to weigh out my options and not get to the point where it's like, crap, I'm infertile, God forbid, and I can't do this on my own. So I just don't want to be later in life starting from scratch. That makes sense. And let me also say this. I think, so I've always been indifferent to marriage and kids. So that probably that context probably helps. Um, and when I say indifferent for me, it was just like, oh, whatever. If it happens, it happens. You know, I think about Tracy Ellis Ross and Sanaa Lathan and Regina mm-hmm. Hall and, you know, Nia Long, even though she has children, but she's not married. I think about all these successful black women. I'm like, well, they did it in there. I, it's OK. It's OK. They're over 40 and now over 50 at this point. Um, but my best friend said something very interesting to me. He said, you know, you've been indifferent because you're scared it won't happen for you. So you've made up in your mind, oh, it doesn't matter if I get married and have kids. So for at least 20 years, I thought that. And now I'm kind of thinking like, okay, maybe life could look like something different than what I always envisioned. However, I'm still not sold on the idea because I am a little fearful that it may not happen. So if it doesn't happen in the order, thinking about children, I, I probably would not. Even though we have all these options, like you said, I, I would prefer to have the partner. Are you subscribing to Ignorance is Bliss Mm. right now? Like, I'd rather not know that I'm going to have fertility issues and deal with it when it comes. Probably so. I can be honest and say that. I can be honest and say that, yeah. Because I think that's going to inform, rightfully so, it's going to inform how you move throughout the world, how you move throughout partnerships, rightfully so. 
But it's like, I, I already don't have a man. Now I, now I can't have no kids. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, shit. You know, it just, it just feels very, it's just pressure. I don't know if pressure is the right word, but yes. it just feels like an, an extra weight on me that right now I do not. I'm already trying to figure out life and what it looks like for me closer to 40, you know, and now I'm just like, I don't, I'm single and I possibly could not be able to have children. Eh, we'll worry about when we get with, when we, you know, but that's not smart. I get it. Especially <laughs> if you are, you know, interested in having children, but I'm just like, I'd rather find out later. In the interview, Deja said, I said this to you, Krizia, how I listened to it and she's like, I'm sharing my story because it's hopeful and I want to inspire and uplift. And I was like, does this provide hope, inspiration, and uplifting? I think, like I said, yes. There, that certain amount of fear that it put in me, it, it, it's almost in a in a positive way. So I can see where that hope comes in because it lit a fire in me too. Maybe conceiving is not that easy, even if you present as a person who is completely healthy and takes care of herself. So fear, it did instill hope, but it was first fear for me. Fear, 1,000%. I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I mean, and I respect tremendously women that, you know, so graciously give their body to bring life into this world. But I was just like, I, no, it, it's, it's scary. And then to do it, to do it alone, that's what I also kept thinking. Like, at least she had a partner there with her. Yes. But doing it alone is, I just, I couldn't imagine. I really couldn't imagine. Yeah, I when she was talking about all the hormonal changes she was going through, I think that also put a lot of fear and hesitation because she did have that partner to lean on. And knowing that there could possibly be a chance you're going through this process alone was very scary. And she said she had dark thoughts, the, the, the darkest thoughts she's ever had. And I'm like, I already be having dark thoughts, just me and my little life that I have going on. But I'm just like, Jesus, like, I just couldn't imagine. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm just so glad that she had that support. I really, really am. Because it's not, it's not everybody's story, unfortunately. No, it's not. And even like the, when she was talking, it's interesting because you brought up the cost. When she was talking, for me, because I had a baby and... I had it at Kaiser Her Permanente. I always give them a shout out for this. There's a labor room where you give birth and then almost immediately after they move you into a postpartum room. So you don't stay in that room beyond. Like you're on a certain part of the floor then you move over. So I had a baby and before I could even be moved over to the postpartum, somebody wheeled into my room with a credit card reader and was like, did you want to pay? How do you want to pay for your baby? And it was $6,000 to give birth. So... When, I, when I'm thinking about family planning and I'm hearing all the various procedures and tests and visits and consultations and conversations that she had, to me, the price tag would have been way higher than, than what 20, it was. Yeah. But that, of course, is still a crazy amount of money. But this is also somebody who, to the credit of her resilience, for two and a half years straight, this has been her focus. I think it's very scary because when I think about almost $20,000 of an investment. It's very scary because you, as a 30 something year old, you just don't have $20,000 of disposable income to throw away. And if I have 20,000, I may want to invest it perhaps into a home. So it's weighing out those options. What do I want to do really? No, I agree. I, I, I couldn't even imagine. I didn't know they did that. Like you swipe your card in the delivery room. I think this is just a Kaiser thing. I mean, Jeez. I'm pretty sure other places are not that tacky, but it was a, it was a crazy, even like I caught myself being so rude to the lady 
And I'm like, you must feel bad. You know when you, like a person puts a ticket on your car and you're giving that person shit? Like yeah. that's their job. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, I have to give grace to the fact that like all day long you're having. There's two things I wanted to share with you guys. One is this meme from Reductress, who is now my favorite Instagram account of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chrissy, you can read it out loud. This woman celebrated her 40th birthday by no longer pretending she might want kids. Good for her. Is there any truth in that where it's like a big part of this is the song and dance of pretending that you might when in the back of your mind you're like, I don't think I actually want this. One thousand percent. And I think that's why I'm just like, I, because I still don't know. I, I fluctuate and I lean more to not wanting. But again, I think that's based in fear. Um, and just Or is it based in societal pressure? You're, it's also, hard to differentiate the two. Also, also pressure. Um, you should be this. You should have this. You should, you know, want this. You should desire this. And it's just like, but it's okay if I don't. Like, why can't my I don't know or my just know be enough? I welcome the society pressure. I feel like I plot twist. Right. <laughs> like society pressure, I think, affects me in my everyday from what I eat to what I wear to how I conduct myself in public settings. And I feel like naturally I have this motherly instinct. Well, yeah, where I feel a little bit more pressure, but I welcome it. And I'm like, I absolutely want to give in to that pressure and have a marriage and have kids and just that all around encompassing idea of what it's supposed to look like. I welcome it and I want it. You know what I will say from knowing you though, it 1000% suits you. Like <laughs> you are a mother to my kids. My kids adore you and you adore them. And it's incredibly obvious, but you are, you know what I mean? That you, certain social standards are made and it, it actually suits some people 1000%. There's a lot of people, maybe myself and you included, who were sort of on the gray line of like, is that right for me or is that not? Um, I think I want to leave more space for people who are on the is that not. But I also want to give more options to people in case they decide later that it actually is them, that they have done something to prepare themselves for that reality and that dream come true. No, that's smart. I get it. I hear it. And I, I do. I do. I just still don't know. Um, and I'm not in a rush to find out. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. I know I get it. But I just, I'm not. But I get, I love that though. And I love that you're so honest about wanting that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Thank you so much to both Krizia and Crystal. I made them do my what do you do for a living template. And here is what their fill in the blanks are. So Crystal is a journalist and an award-winning producer who encourages people to live for a living and take up space in all areas of their lives. Kind of like Tracy Ellis Ross meets Jennifer Lewis. And you can follow her at Crystal Franklin TV. Krizia is a producer here at Lovers and Friends. Her purpose is to inform and inspire people, kind of like Oprah meets Eva Longoria. You can follow her at Cruz underscore. Speaking of episodes, this is the end of this one. But before we conclude things, let's show some love to the people who have gone on Apple or Spotify and found their way over to the rate and review section and looked up lovers and friends and been like, this is worth saying something about. I feel passionate about the work that we're doing. And I want people to know that I am here with Shan. Shout out to you specifically to Witting It. She says, when I say this podcast opens my mind and sometimes my legs, she gets deep inside 
way past the surface and opens my viewpoints. Oh my gosh, I can definitely understand the open relationship episode and the difference of experiences. And girl, I might be open when I find the right partner. Shan, please stop going so deep. And then she laughs out loud. I love every podcast episode. Keep up the magnificent work. You are definitely witty. So witty knit, shout out to you. Thank you for that. All right, Shiva T says, Shan is my girl. I feel the same way. I appreciate that. Consistently sharing her full authentic self with us. It's refreshing, endearing, and special. Your beautiful family draws me in and makes me look forward to my future family. Thank you. The most recent episode on baby loss was so needed for me. That was the one with Mike. And thanks for sharing your perspective. Other people gloss over. Lastly, we go to Julia JT, who says Shan and her guests delve into topics that I've always wondered about, but never been able to ask anyone. And also topics that I would have thought in a million years, but still have learned from nonetheless. I butchered that shit. But all in all, Julia JT, thank you so much. Jared is coming over to me to tell me something. It's the end of the episode anyways, so... I can end this off and uh, we can chat. Hi, babe. We'll talk next week. Let me go talk to my man right now. Bye, lovers. Bye, friends. Lovers and friends. friends. I'm going to take you on a trip, baby. I don't pretend. I said, lovers and friends. Uh, I'm going to hold you down, down to the end. I said,